everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat. And this is The Crime Chat. I am your forensic Yay. femme fatale. And Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two gal pals who simply indulge in their obsession for true crime stories and all things morbid and mysterious. And who wouldn't like that? As a disclaimer, the Falling Crime Chat contains adult content, descriptions of potentially violent scenarios, your listener discretion is advised. You've been warned. Okay, well, this is our first episode, so hang on because it's going to be fabulous. So who out there loves wine like me? Uh, yeah, me. Well, Kat, have you ever purchased a bottle of wine because the bottle or label was just so darn cute? Um, honestly, that's the only way I buy wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. So today we're going to be talking about a product that is more than just delicious, but a collection of wine that is designed with some real killer artwork and highlights some crazy but true backstories. Oh yes, we are taking a deep dive into the criminals who have inspired and are showcased on the labels of 19 Crimes. Yeah! Woohoo! <laughs> this is super exciting. So not only do the bottles have a variety of labels with the criminal's pictures on them, but also the corks address each of the 19 crimes, which we're going to get into with the story behind the wine. Yep. And according to 19 crimes, these men and women are featured on their labels. They were known as British rogues who at the time were sentenced to live in Australia instead of being sentenced to death. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Some of you out there, I know, some of you out there may be asking who, what, and where. Well, no worries, because we're about to get started. Yes, Nat, let's get into that crime chat. Yay. So, okay, so a history of the crimes, right? According to 19 Crimes Online, these British rogues were punished by transportation instead of facing the death penalty. So each of these 19 crimes are described on a cork of each of the bottles. And as you know, Nat, I've been collecting all 19 corks. Now, I mean... You have a problem. <laughs> a cork problem? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. So what I'm going to actually do with the corks when I collect them all, but regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, so beginning in 1787, these criminals featured on the wines were found guilty of one of the following 19 crimes, Okay. So, these crimes include grand larceny, theft above the value of one shilling. So, quick side note, a shilling was a coin used during the 1500s, or like early as the 1500s in the UK. So, shilling comes from the old English term skilling, which is a monetary term meaning a 20th of a pound. So, if you think of a pound today, it'd be a 20th of a pound or 20 cents, right? Or 20 pence, excuse me. So, okay, so that's grand larceny. That's the first one. Number two is petty larceny. So that's theft under one shilling. So under less than like the 20 pence. Uh, Number three is buying or receiving stolen goods, jewels, and plate. Number four, stealing lead, iron, or copper, or buying or receiving the lead, iron, or copper. Number five, impersonating an Egyptian. Oh my God! So I'm thinking that old song from the '80s, "Walk Like, walk an, Egyptian, like an Egyptian." Pops in my head. Is it something? Please tell me it's something like that. <laughs> so I actually looked this one up. So according to the Times newspaper in the UK, an Egyptian was a name given to gypsies who, at various times, claimed they came from Egypt or what they called Little Egypt um, on a pilgrimage. They were 
variously charged with different things like dishonesty through horse trading, begging, theft, fortune telling, forgery, and, and the list goes on. And so records attest that they use these forged documents for safe passage, which also guaranteed them food and lodging, which basically was supplied by the government. So many towns and cities in Europe gave them money to simply just like go away. Because obviously we know with petty crimes come other issues and everything like that. So 16th century England began the criminalization of the wandering people, also a gypsy or, in a, you know, Egyptian, a pilgrimage Egyptian. Eventually it became a felony to impersonate one. So you had to actually well, be one. You couldn't impersonate one. Oh, well, I, I think it's safe to say that I am a gypsy. Well, maybe I'm impersonating one. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so six, stealing from furnished lodgings. Number seven, setting fire to the underwood or underbrush in a forest. So how did they cook? So I think this is more so like arson. Like if you were intentionally using the kindling, like, you know, when a forest is dry and that's what they used to tell you, like, only you can prevent forest fires. So like uh, when the forest is like okay. really, really dry, you know, there's certain environmental um, risks that are involved with that. So I think that's when you're intentionally setting the underbrush, knowing that it would actually spread, if that makes okay. sense. And I think yeah. they use that also as a tactic. Like if you're trying to get somebody out and move people, a lot of times they would use fire. Oh, OK. Yeah. So, OK. So number eight, stealing letters, advancing the postage and secreting the money. I mean, we have crimes like this all the time now, (laughs) right? People stealing mail, stealing checks out of the mail, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've actually done cases where we've had mail fraud. So I was going to say that's a federal offense. It is. Absolutely is. Yeah. So number nine, assault with an intent to rob. Number 10 is stealing fish from a pond or river. So an interesting fact about this, this crime is still current in the UK. So why why is that though? Why is it still current? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just one of those laws that they've just never went back and looked at. The, oh, well, the only other thing I can think of is if you think of you know, so the Thames River that goes through London, mm-hmm. right? There's so much stuff in there. There's bodies and trash, and it's just like it's really a nasty oh, river. That's true. So maybe okay. yeah. they're trying to help you, like. You can't fish, maybe, in certain protected waterways. Got it. So, okay. I guess, technically, that would be stealing if you can't, if you're not allowed mm-hmm. to fish there, I guess. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, number 11, <laughs> stealing roots, trees, or plants, or destroying them. Number 12, you'll love this one, bigamy. So, of note, due to the divorce laws in existence in the 19th century, bigamy was a common occurrence. Okay, so... But shouldn't that be, like, at the top, right. like, number one? <laughs> well, I mean, in this time, I guess, I mean, I guess, I mean, bigamy is still a crime. Right. Like, easier to get away with than it was back in, like, 18th, 19th century. Right. So men can have families everywhere. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So 13, assaulting, cutting, or burning clothes. Number 14, counterfeiting the copper coin. Mm-hmm. Number 15, clandestine marriages. Okay, this you need to explain because I have no idea what that means. So <laughs> clandestine marriage is basically is ma- getting married in secret. So let's say you have somebody of a higher like class or stature uh, falls in love mm-hmm. with maybe a peasant or like 
you know, somebody of not the same class. Um, oh. Love overcomes all, so they get married. And if it, I guess if it were to find out that they got married in secret, then that would be a crime. So what you're telling me, and I'm trying not to act so disappointed, but like what you're telling me <laughs> is Disney has been lying to us this entire time. So there, there's no Prince Charming. Yeah, I, is that what you're saying? I mean, the, maybe there's a Prince Charming. And I, I mean, and just back in those days, it wasn't legal. <laughs> Can I still at least believe that there may be woodland creatures out there are going to help me mop up and clean? Absolutely. You believe whatever okay, your heart good. desires. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay, so number 16 is stealing a shroud out of a grave. So because a corpse was not considered quote unquote property, it couldn't officially be stolen. However, obviously, they're of high value. So a corpse was considered what's called a shroud. So stealing a shroud out of a grave, obviously. Grave robbing, even now, is a crime. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was that's a, a critical one, I think. Uh, so number 17, watermen carrying too many passengers on the Thames, if any, drowned. I think the Thames needs its own crime chat. Because there's so much that surrounds this. Oh, that's a great segment. Let's do that one. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, with just London in itself, is there's so much saturated yeah. stories and historical stories surrounding it. Like, the Thames is probably half of those. Yes. Yes. So, okay, number 18 is incorrigible rogues who broke out of prison and persons reprieved from capital punishment. So, basically... An incorrigible rogue was anyone who was previously convicted as a rogue or a vagabond and resists apprehension or a felon who's fleeing, um, somebody who broke okay. out of prison and basically trying to avoid, here it says capital punishment, so the death penalty, right? Wow. Okay. And then 19, embroiling naval stores in certain cases. So it's a, basically a fancy phrase. For stealing products that are derived or manufactured from pine sap. So soap, paint, varnish, shoe polish, linoleum, roofing materials. Basically, you can't steal those type of products from a store. Okay. Interesting. That's very yeah. interesting. So is that because of the fact that of what it's the components that make it up? Or is it because it was something that people can sell? I think it was just because it's, it was so valuable at that time. Got it. Okay. It was of such high value. Like you couldn't you couldn't steal any of those products that came from Pine Sap or that Pine Sap was part of making. Okay. I guess that kind of goes back to like the stealing trees or plants in mm -hmm. the other one too, kind of, full circle. Hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but it is of note, I will say sadly, that many of the guilty died at sea on their way to Australia. According to the 19 Crimes website, they created this wine to honor the, quote, rough-hewn prisoners who made it to shore, a new world awaited. As pioneers in a frontier penal colony, they forged a new country and new lives brick by brick. This wine celebrates the rules they broke and the culture they built, end quote. Yes, and fun fact, have you ever heard of Living Wine Label app? Yes, it's <laughs> awesome. So it's cool. It's amazing, and for anybody listening, download it on your phone. Um, this app uses an augmented reality, which brings your featured criminal to tell their story right 
from the bottle, right from the yes. label cap. That it's awesome. It's like they're talking right to you. It's it's mm-hmm. so cool. Okay, so we know the history now of all those nineteen crimes. So we, you and I, we both chose one of these so-called criminals, right, to uh-huh. talk about the history, to talk about the crimes and circumstances kind of surrounding it. So, do you, Nat, want to kick off the crime chat story for today? Yes, yes, yes. So my crime chat, I chose from 19 Crimes, The Uprising, which features Cornelius Dwyer Kane. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, using my app, we're about to meet him. Where are we going? I believe it is just your Irish luck that political prisoners are kept apart from real criminals Australia-bound. I thought my journey to Australia would be a rough one, but I was reunited with fellow Fenians of all people. We entertained each other with our shared love of the arts. What sort of a man pins a note containing the most precious of secrets to the inside of his jacket, then loses it? As an Irishman, I was bound to join in a combination which was banded together for the good of Ireland, not for assassination and plunder, as has been falsely asserted. To the judge I said, I have only one request to make. I ask you simply to pass sentence and give me nothing in the shape of advice or lecture. For I assure you, it would be lost upon me. That was the Living Wine label app of Cornelius Dwyer Kane retelling his story right from the bottle. Yeah, now, so cool. this wine, I, I want to give you know a little insight on this wine. I can't express how much I love it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. This wine, 19 Crimes, describes this wine as a medium red with bright ruby hues and confidently takes charge with intense notes of mocha and caramel with subtle flavors of brown sugar and cinnamon. Mm. Now, I know, delicious, right? Yes. Um, The best part about this wine, it's been aged in rum barrels for 30 days, which gives it, I know, which gives it this dark and jammy berry flavor and has a smoky finish and i love this wine so i may not know who's on the label but i know that wine yeah (laughs) i I mean the way they describe the way they describe the wine it makes for like a great tinder profile right (laughs) doesn't it (laughs) right uh, but you have to tell me more because I don't know. I like I'm so out of it at this dating scene. Do you swipe left? Do you swipe right? I'm so yes. confused. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> so I would definitely swipe left for the wine, but we're gonna swipe right for some people behind the story. Ooh. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Okay, so let's get back into the story. Let's go way back to the story behind this wine. So we're gonna. I'm gonna take you to Sydney. Oh yeah, way back to Sydney, Australia, where the tale begins. Now, this is a time in history where a delicious beverage led to the overthrowing of a governor. Mm, Uh, Yes, I speak of... I speak (laughs) of the Rum Rebellion. 
Have you ever heard of it? Oh, no. So, (laughs) okay. The Rum Rebellion sounds fun and dangerous at the same time. Yes. So, basically, (laughs) after losing the American War for Independence. um, I know. Just kidding. Just kidding. With that, they also lost a place to send their prisoners. So, Mm -hmm. Britain had to find another place to develop new colonies, and they landed on South Wales, arriving in Sydney in 1787. They went down under. They went down under. So now these ships that they sent over contained free settlers, officers, and convicts. Keep in mind, the government had a system in place with a particular set of conditions for these settlers that were arriving. Okay. These were, you had free passage into the country, two years worth of provisions, such as food, clothing... Mm. And were given farming tools and land to work free of government expenses, such as taxes and stuff. Oh, wow. That, yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like, a, okay, to, okay, it sounds too good to be true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is there, well, there's got to be a catch. I mean, is this where we swipe, what is it, swipe uh-huh. right? <laughs> this is where we swipe right, yeah. <laughs> so now the catch is there is a, another condition and the government required them to house convicts that they also oh. shipped over. The oh. settlers had to put them, yeah, the settlers had to house them in the homes that they lived in, and they had to put them to work on the land that they were given with no wages. So these convicts were serving um, time in hard labor. So it was like forced slavery, almost, yes. as like their punishment, but it was also punishing the free settlers. Exactly, yeah. Wow. And also... One in three convicts were of Irish descent. So many of them, as you can realize, they were not farmers. They did not have the skill set to do so. And this is 1787 in the Great Outback. Mm, The Um, wilderness. Yes. it, It sounds rough and it was rough. And due to the harsh environment, the colonies nearly starved a number of times. Now, these convicts were usually sentenced to seven to 14 years of servitude, mm-hmm. which they were serving out in these colonies, working and farming, etc. Okay. Oh, cat. Here's a fun fact. Ooh, fun facts. Yeah. Not really a fun fact, but definitely a crime <laughs> chat fact. Okay. <laughs> well, don't let me down like a Tinder account. I know. I know. Okay. Well, 20% of these convicts were female. 20%? And yeah, that's a lot. Isn't that that a is a lot. I know. And they were I usually mean, I don't assigned. Know I feel kind of proud of that. I know. I Well, yeah, yeah, we were badasses back then, too. Right? <laughs> they were usually assigned domestic help for soldiers or even prostitution. Oh, so, I know. okay. I know. Oh. Um, and, you know, just when it sounds bad, it gets worse. Uh, free settlers were allowed to discipline their convicts. It was harsh, flogging, beating, confinement, or even worse, being transported to a stricter colony. Or Apparently, raping. Yeah. Oh, y- you I know. Mean, mm. They were allowed yeah. to discipline their convicts. I mean, raping probably was part of that for the female ones. Totally. Totally. Ugh. It goes back to our crimes where, where was bigamy again? Right. <laughs> Not at the top. Not at the top. <laughs> Grand larceny was at the exactly. top. Exactly. So apparently these colonies got really brutal. Now, for convicts who behaved, they were given a ticket or a pass to, you know, which gave them some freedom to socialize and move about. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, this is rough. I mean, I couldn't imagine living back then. And as you can imagine, this definitely caused like turmoil between the rich and the poor. Which I'm sure there was, I mean, there was already division at that time anyways between, I mean, that was, and that's why you couldn't marry somebody in a clandestine way, right? Right, no Prince Charming. No Prince Charming, no. There was no no squirrel coming to help me sweep, nothing. <laughs> not helping. So there were the this... evil stepsisters, though. I mean, come on. Oh, I'm sure there were plenty of those. <laughs> A.K.A. the Free Settlers. Yes. So this is going to lead us to our first of the two main characters of my story, Kat. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, I'm going to introduce you to a Mr. John MacArthur. He was a British Army officer, an entrepreneur, a politician, an architect, and now a pioneer of settlements in Australia. That is a very nice Tinder profile. I know. Good resume, right? He was a businessman. um, Mm -hmm. And he had substantial farming and commercial interests in these colonies. He owns a large amount of land and leased it out to the government, which made him a very, very rich man. Of course. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, yeah. But, you know, before you swipe left, let's continue. There's more. Trust me. Swipe right. Swipe right. <laughs> so keep in mind, with people like this, the Br- Britain took notice, and they took issue with people capitalizing on such conditions, and they decided to take some action of their own. They sent mm-hmm. in a guy to shake things up a little bit. Oh, okay. So Tell me this more. will bring us. To our character number two, um, his name is William Bly. Okay. And Britain, they felt he was the man for the job. They appointed him governor and shipped him out in 1805. Governor. Governor. Now, Governor Bly was appointed to crack down on the commercial activities of New South Wales Corp, a.k.a. the Rum Corp. That was like their side name. Okay. Um, this group would buy up all the imported rum and then sell it at ridiculous prices. Something, <laughs> I, something is just, I mean, I, I don't know, but something Bly was sent to deal with right away because okay. rum was a big export and, you know, just a moneymaker. So it was a big export out of Australia or out of Britain? Yeah. No, at Australia. There was, oh. um, we're going to get into it. Okay. But how MacArthur made his money wherever he went oh so okay. yeah uh-huh. and that's why the... left yet <laughs> as the world turns as the world turns so Bly's main concern was to limit the power of the wealthy over the colonies in particularly one of john macarthur and his wealthy mm-hmm. friends okay john had some illegal activities going on such as <laughs> transporting stowaways running illegal rum distilleries forcing the stowaways and some convicts to work without pay. Mm. Yeah. So now Governor Bly started the minute he got the minute he got appointed, he started dismissing corrupt government positions that catered to the wealthy and he started mm-hmm. helping helping the colonies by allowing food and resources to be sent to the farmers and the colonies Especially okay. when they got hit hard by Australia's seasonal storms, which I couldn't even imagine what a storm well, looks yeah. like over there. Well, I mean, you don't, I mean, it's, 
Okay, okay. so it reminds me of the little pig, little pig, you know, let mm-hmm. me in. Yeah. Not by the hair of my... So, like, right. <laughs> yeah, and you're not going to blow my house down. But, I mean, I can't imagine, even now, some of the major storms that, that we have. There's just mm-hmm. foundations and structures that just can't handle it. And I can't imagine this, you know, 200, 300 years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, the the rum, the rum corp, as we know them now, a.k.a. the rum corp, mm-hmm. and people like MacArthur didn't like Governor Bly's new plan to help the colonies. Okay. I think the wealthy wanted to keep them struggling because then they needed them. So... And it kept him wealthier. The wealthier, the wealthy stay wealthy, and the rum, right? Or the rum, the rum. <laughs> At a girl, the poor stay poor. <laughs> exactly. And the rum stays rum, and the rum stays rum. <laughs> so Bly, he also looked into the alcohol, uh, mm-hmm. which pissed everybody off. He made changes to as to like requiring people to actually use currency in order to buy alcohol instead of oh. trade. So, so here's it, here's four cows. I'll take, you know, a barrel of rum. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he wanted he to make to it actually... more, le- more legit and also taxable, I guess. Well, of course. There come the taxes. Yeah. So the rum corpse try to complain by writing letters to the British Army. However, British Army, well, the British Army also thought they w- were a problem I think they felt that Bly was doing his job by shaking things up a bit. Okay, yeah. Now, MacArthur slipped up a little bit at this point. He was caught harboring stowaways and was asked to appear in court. Mm-hmm. However, he refused to do so. He said <laughs> that, I know, he's just like, nay, <laughs> no, not happening. Nay, nay. <laughs> nay, nay. He said that he can't be tried by a judge who is financially indebted to him. Oh, and my. I know. He's got a brass set, I have to say. He's got a brass set. Um, And you know what? The court and the officers, they all agreed. Oh, that's horrible. Like, you have... Okay, so you have a court order to appear, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go because you owe me money, so snoop to you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, my nose in the air, I'm walking away. And the court... They agreed? Like, okay, you're right, you know. He was eventually arrested and imprisoned, but okay. he was never tried. So the, the judge would not try him, and the court that was going to try him was dissolved. I guess people were really <laughs> afraid to challenge him and the rum court. So I get. I mean, it sounds like MacArthur had, like, a ton of power and influence. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And this Absolutely. was, like, where... I mean, you can threaten somebody's life or their family and do, you know, where that made such an impact of mm-hmm. what the, I don't know, quote unquote, right thing to do is, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was definitely a scary time and a different country. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine what these colonies felt and these convicts, I, it, it must have been a very desperate situation. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as you can imagine, Governor Bly was a little upset. Of course, Uh. (laughs) he's trying to come in to like restore a little order, right? Well, the man was trying. You have to give him credit. He was trying. He met with the officers and the leader of the rum court, whose name was Johnston. He demanded them to intervene. He said that if they didn't do so, it was going to be treasonous. After this meeting, Johnston walked out 
went down to the jailhouse and freed MacArthur. Yeah, as you can imagine, he was in MacArthur's pocket. Mm, I know. I know. I so mean, MacArthur is like such a sickening thing. I mean, and uh, I know. as much as we say that we don't have it, like it, there's corruption everywhere and it's just yeah. so hard to deal with. Yes, that's true. Okay, so continue. Yes, so now at this point, Kat, the Rum Rebellion begins. MacArthur, um, Johnston, the Rum Corp, they all team up and mm-hmm. Bly, Governor Bly, gets mutinied. Oh, no, the governor. The governor. Now, Johnston made it public. He announced for Bly to resign and to be mm-hmm. arrested. This guy, he sucks. I, and, and also, poor Bly was in the middle of the British Army and the Rum Corp. He was kind of the fall guy in a way, and he was only yeah. really trying to do the right thing. I mean, nobody's perfect, but it sounds like he oh, was. This just occurred to me. Hey, Bly, we got a job for you. We know you can handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they pretty much, I, feel, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I'll let, I'll let you continue your story, but I feel like Bly was set up for failure. He was a little bit of a guinea pig. Definitely. Oh, oh we'll get guy. to it. Poor guy we'll Bly. We'll get to it. So Bly. Bly refused to do so. He refused, just like MacArthur. He's like, nope, I'm not being arrested. Um, <laughs> so at this point, in 1808, the Rum Corp officers went to his home, and apparently they dragged him out from hiding underneath the bed. Now... He was if you need a bed. visual, okay, I, lost, I lost a little props for Bly hiding under the yeah, bed. Yeah, so if you want a visual of that scene, there's an old famous illustration of Bly's arrest. It shows three red coat officers dragging Bly from underneath the servants' beds. Mm. Um, oh, oh, so this, he wasn't even under his own bed. He was under the servants' bed. N- yeah, no. Well, this oh. was what we call rum court propaganda. And they were trying to discredit Bly the best way they could by making him look like a coward. Oh, so the drawing or the the artistry work and like the basically illustration of him hiding under the servant's bed, I'm sure was just, I can't wait to see it. I got to wait to see it. Okay. It's a really cool picture. I mean, it's just, you, you have the red coats and they're just dragging him out from this really um, messy bed, and it just didn't make him look like the governor that he was. Right, yeah. So wow. now the arresting officers gave him a choice. They said, you can return to Britain in disgrace, or you could be held on house arrest. Well, Bly refused to leave his post, and he said, well, house arrest it is. Okay. Wait, he refused mm-hmm. to leave his post under the bed? <laughs> under, <laughs> he was in his house. <laughs> Very close to the bed. <laughs> Okay, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but he refused Continue. to leave Australia. Refused. Okay. So now during this time, the Rum Rebellion is in full swing. And Johnston took over the government. He appointed MacArthur a secretary. He also reinstated all his wealthy friends to power and Bly, <laughs> that Bly got rid of because of their conflicting interests. Okay. Now, yep. so yeah, it's he, frustrating. All the good that he did was reversed, essentially. Yeah, there was definitely okay. a rum lash. There was a rum lash. <laughs> a so, rum lash. <laughs> rum the lashing lash. of the rum. The lashing of the rum. So now the rum rebellion would last to 1810 until Brit- Britain appointed a new governor. His name is Fofo. And I am pronouncing that correctly. It's Fofo. Fo- 
Hey, Fofo. Hey, Fofo. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So Sorry, now, Sorry, Mr. Fofo. Mr. Fofo, Governor Fofo, was able to remove both Johnson and MacArthur from power. And okay, he good. immediately, like, he shipped them back to England to face trial. He was not taking any chances. Go, Fofo. You go. I know. Fofo. Yeah, and uh, in the end, Johnston... In England, he was found guilty of cashiering, which is a dismissal of a military position under breach of discipline. Um, so but, Johnston was military, British military. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. He returned to Sydney as a free man. After so. his, after, okay, so he's found guilty. Did he, so he did his time and then just was like, I'm going back to Australia. And he did no time. He just lost his military position. Ah, I know. Gosh. That's how they punished him. They were like, "Oh, we're gonna be take honest. away." <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a military tribunal. To be honest, I, exactly. <laughs> but other than that, he was free to go, and he went back to Sydney, where he made some money. Um, mm. MacArthur uh, was okay. held, but not actually tried, because once again, he refused to admit any wrongdoing. Yeah. Okay. So refusal to cooperate. Obviously, we have learned in our judicial system mm-hmm. that if you refuse to cooperate, a trial can still happen. Yes. Right. So, I, but what you're saying is he refused to participate in a trial or proceedings and they're like, eh, OK, we drop it. Yeah, I think I think especially after they lost the war, um, the British army wasn't exactly favored. So when it came to the rich and powerful they did protect mm. their own, so MacArthur was one of them. And okay. he they were not going to just make... I think he had a lot of friends. A lot of friends that didn't want to <sighs> see him be made an example of. But were they real friends? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. That's a different story. <laughs> so, so MacArthur, he ended up returning to Australia, but he was only able to leave England until 1817. So he returned to Australia... In 1817. Okay. It, they did kind of exile him for a little bit. But what was he doing? He was living so, the high life in England. So that was, but that was only for like seven years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was only exiled from Australia for seven years. Okay. All right. Yeah. Didn't serve any time. Okay. Now, Bly would later be promoted to Rear Admiral, which is a huge honor. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he did die from cancer in 1817. Um, which is sad. The same year that MacArthur... Now, did MacArthur return before or after he died? Do you know? I don't know, but that's a good <gasps> question. Ooh. Uh, ooh. So maybe he was like, okay, so Bly died. He's like, oh, I can go back to Australia now. Right. Yeah, uh, I didn't even think about that. Aw. Uh, I know. Poor Bly. I know. Well, you know, the good news is... Well, I don't know if it's really good news, but... They named a suburb after him. They called it Bly Park. Is it still Bly Park today? Yeah. Okay. So well, good. That, yeah, I mean, I feel bad, but that wraps up my story of the Rum Rebellion in 1808. Um, fun fact. Uh-huh. Fun rum fact. Ooh. Do you know what the oldest rum still being sold today is? I don't. Okay, so this is called the Harewood Rum. It was first distilled in 1780 in Barbados. Now, mm. 
that was the first time it was recorded to be distilled in Barbados. I'm sure okay. they had already distilled it prior. Um, so that was yeah, the and, first documented, the mm-hmm. earliest documented rum that's still being sold today. That is yep. interesting. Barbados. Ooh. Yeah. And have you, uh, have you ever been to Barbados? I have not. Have you ever been to Australia? I have not. Oh, me either. You've been Let's to go. both. <laughs> no, let's no, no. go. I've been to the UK. I lived there for a couple years. Yes, let's have our own uprising. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, oh, so just to bring the story back to the wine, by the way, yeah, yeah. my guy, Cornelius, he was guilty of stealing a shroud. <gasps> oh, so he stole a dead body. Was it a family member? Do we know? I don't know. You, well, you don't, I don't know. But that's what he was he was guilty of. Well, and, and you know, and and I'll get into a little bit of, of mine here in a second, but it was hard to find, like, the deets on a lot of these characters. I would say characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, you know, quote-unquote criminals that were yeah. fe- that are featured on the wine bottles for 19 Crimes. It's It was very hard to dig in. Like, we got the living label, right? We got a little bit of that story. Mm-hmm. But just doing some, like open research and trying to go into like i found myself getting into like the irish like documentation and his like of history and all this other stuff which i'll get into a little bit more in my story but i just thought that like it's really surprising it's a rabbit hole yeah it is (laughs) it is a rabbit hole it's a fun rabbit hole though so now kat i i can't wait who did you choose for your crime chat Okay, so I chose a gentleman who's on the label. His name is Michael Moore. Not the Michael Moore that you're thinking of. (laughs) The director, you know, an activist. Not that Michael Moore. Oh, no, nay, nay. Here, I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Michael Moore, but my brothers in Dublin know me as the Pike Maker. I was a blacksmith, and a blacksmith for the cause at that. I forged more dangerous fare than horseshoes and paid the price with my brothers in Australia. In Ireland, I forged chains. In Australia, I wore them. I was banished from my home for crimes against the crown, but my spirit remained unbroken. I served my ten years of hard labour, as only an Irishman can, with insubordination. October 12th, 1867, we left London aboard the prison ship Haugamont, the last British convicts to be punished by transportation. But this was small comfort for what was to come. 89 harrowing days at sea, and untold more in a strange new continent. So Michael Moore is on the label of the 19 crimes Sauve Blanc. The wine is described as light, but unique in character, much like our guy, light but very unique. Uh, It is a very approachable Sauvignon Blanc that is filled with aromas of passion fruit, grapefruit, gooseberry, guava. It's it's delicious. It's a light-bodied wine with a fresh, crisp finish and is very, quote-unquote, criminally easy wine to enjoy in many ways. So it's very delicious. It sounds like a summer day. Yeah, yeah. I would say he's very summery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he Michael may be a Moore. swipe left. He may be a swipe. 
He may be a he may be a swipe left. The end of my story. Let me know if you go left okay. or right. Okay. <laughs> so Michael Moore was a blacksmith. Uh, he was arrested in 1865 for treason felony after an informer named Pierce Nagel reported Moore to authorities. He was accused of being a pike maker and a Finian. So on Thursday, October 5th, 1865, <laughs> <laughs> Moore's landlord, George A. Gillis, reported he discovered items in Moore's residence. Quote, the first floor of the house appeared to have been used as a drill hall. On the ground floor was the forge. Unquote. Moore's trial was documented as the third Fenian trial. Okay, so first a Fenian. Okay. This was a term used for those who were part of a secret movement known as the Irish Republican Brotherhood to secure land from Britain during the mid-19th century. They operated in Canada and also in the United States. And together, these different secret movements were known as the Fenian Brotherhood. So when I refer to a Fenian, that's what I'm referring to. Wow. The, the Fenian Brotherhood was founded in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day, of course, Ooh. 1858, uh, by a man named James Stevens. And then in the United States, it was discovered by a man named John O'Mahony, which is going to come into play later. Both of these groups, both the United States and the Irish, focused on overthrowing the British rule in Ireland by an armed insurrection. So by armed warfare, right? Plans for rising against the British rule in Ireland miscarried. So it kind of failed. Uh -huh. But the American Finians staged an abortive raids across the border into Canada in 1866, 1870, and then again in 1871. Which, of course, caused friction between the U.S. and British governments, right? Oh, okay. Okay, so secondly, Moore was a pike maker. And a pike was a spear-like weapon regularly used in European warfare. The leading figures of the Finian and Irish Re uh, Revolutionary Brotherhood were well-educated. Uh, they were literate, and they wrote a lot of memoirs. A lot of these memoirs are now, like I was mentioning, are archived in Dublin. And there's a wide variety of different types of documents. Oh my gosh, the amount of things that I was sifting through was just crazy. There's photographs, letters. Um, there's what's unpublished memoirs, which are basically just documents that were found, you know, later on. Mm -hmm. And amongst a lot of these memoirs, there was a document that said a pike was, quote, a weapon of expediency in countries other than Ireland and... Many of thousands of pikes were made in Sheffield to arm its adherents to the crown, huh. end quote. So therefore, this would be why Moore was considered a traitor for making these pikes, since at this time, making pikes was illegal if it was going against the British government, right? And he was sentenced to 10 years of servitude for pun in, by punishment of transportation. So he was transported to Western Australia aboard a ship called the Huagamunt. And amongst the what? Men, the Hua? Hu I think I'm saying that right. That's I'm a cool sure. name. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so amongst uh, these memoirs that were discovered um, eventually in the 19th and 20th centuries included a variety of envelopes. There are nearly 500 numbered envelopes in total that's in these wow. archival files, right? Including bank drafts, military fortifications, and other type of important documents. 
one unique item that was folded and fit into its envelope in the original like coloring is the Finian flag. They came up with their own flag. Wow. Now the flag was painted in Moore's home. So his landlord found it painted on his wall. The picture of this, of the actual flag itself is going to be made available to everybody. The design was very unique and it was never published like upon its discovery. So the landlord found it in Moore's home you know, a hundred years later, we find the same flag, if you will, in this mm. envelope that was discovered as a Finian memoir. Wow. So, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So, the design is very unique. It's never been published before its discovery. And the flag prototype was based on the American, you know, kind of stars and bars. There's four bars representing the four provinces of Ireland, and then 32 stars representing its counties. So also found in Moore's possession were two letters from Patrick, quote unquote, pagan O'Leary. O'Leary held an uncommon view of religion for at that time, right? So we're talking like late 1800s. He hated the Catholic Church, which a lot of people, you know, Ireland, you think like the national religion is is Catholicism. Right. Um, So he hated the Catholic Church just as much as he hated the cursed English that's what he said in this letter. So in this letter, he instructed Moore to address him in future letters as Olegri, H.R. and M.P. And he explained this to Moore as the cursed English by way of spelling my name is O'Leary. And the old ancient males and pagan way is Olagri. And then he signed the letter yours, Olagri, H.R. and M.P., meaning hereditary rebel and Milesian pagan. Isn't that cool? That is. So O'Leary is the English way of saying mm-hmm. Olagre. Olagre, yes. And I probably don't have a very good Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> so more, so more was said to have been under contract from Fenian leader James Stevens, who we mentioned before, the Irish founder of the Fenian Brotherhood or Irish... Revolutionary Brotherhood, to manufacture a large number of pikeheads, referred to uh, by their names in, like, a lot of these documentations as the Rods. So, Moore's defense attorney, his name was Isaac Butt, (laughs) (laughs) B-U-T-T, poor guy. He stated that if Moore had made the pikes, it was simply because it was a business transaction and he had no responsibility to what those pikes were used for. Basically saying it was um, pleading ignorance to the the purpose of the pikes, right? If right. he had made them, he has no responsibility what they were used for. Mm-hmm. So he was not the only pike maker, though, at the time. It was found that there were a total number of pikes in Dublin before the Rising. There was t- at least 2,000 pikes that were... And these, so 2,000 individual pikes. Right, 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 that okay. were found. So Nagel, that was the informer that got him arrested, that got more arrested. He actually testified in another Fenian trial and described the pikes in the way that actually Moore had made the pikes, which might not have necessarily been the same way that that other Fenian made the pikes. Mm-hmm. But it was noted in Nagel's description that fit a type of pike that was commonly found. So Moore made commonly found pikes. Again, we're talking to like not necessarily great evidence, maybe circumstantial evidence, really. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. But there were smaller pikes. The pike heads sometimes were made differently, that kind of thing. But they were all also sold at various different prices. Moore's pikes were said to have only cost a half a crown. Now, we talked about a shilling before. Right. A shilling was a 20th of a pound. A half a crown is an eighth of a pound. The half a crown was commonly called two and six also, um, meaning two shillings and a sixpence. So 46 cents, I guess. Two shillings is a 20th of a pound and then sixpence. Yeah. Um, But basically the value was considered either two and six or a half a crown. It was found that many pikes were given free to the members of the uh, Irish Revolutionary, you know, Brotherhood. But the Brotherhood actually paid for it. And much like any kind of militia or military, right? If you're a member of it or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, they're going to issue things to you and then they're going to pay for it, right? You don't, the individuals themselves don't necessarily have to pay for it. So after about four years of serving in Australia, um, the punishment for, by transportation, Moore was actually pardoned along with other political prisoners because essentially this was a political thing and not necessarily like a, another kind of crime, but he was, so he left Australia at the end of uh, late 1869 Uh, on the British ship called the Behringer from Australia. And they went to San Francisco in January in 1870 is when it got there. Now, all pardoned prisoners on board of the Behringer were part of the same type of sentencing. They were sent from Ireland to the British penal colonies somewhere between 1865 and 1867. And their terms of sentence, again, were punishment by transportation. And their sentences varied from either like five years to life. Which included Moore, who who was um, sentenced to 10 years. Wow. So did you know, though, fun fact, in my research that I was able to find, both Moore and Cornelius Cain on your wine, on the Uprising, mm-hmm. were on the same ship. They were on really? the... Really? Yes. They were on the Behringer, sailing, from San, sailing to San Francisco from Australia. Wait, and it uh, was at act- the same time, you think? Or at different times? It, so... From what I was able to find, it was actually, they were on the same ship because it was the last ship, the last British supplied ship that um, transported pardoned prisoners from Australia. So so it's documented, right? Both of them were actually, because I I was able to actually find the manifest, which is crazy. So the New York Herald reported on this. And in that newspaper clipping, it says, quote, Colonel Smith was notified of the fact that they had arrived and a committee was sent on board at once to escort them to the city. They were transported to the rest house, which is a first class hotel where rooms were prepared in their reception. And during the afternoon, they were visited by a large number of number of Irish citizens who gave them a warm welcome to American soil, end quote. Oh, wow. So they were treated like royalty when they came. They, in. Yeah, they were. They were like. Hey, we appreciate you. So all the Fenians, because we remember the Fenian Brotherhood that was in the United States also, you know, so they saw that these, you know, now pardoned Fenians were coming to San Francisco. So they they went there and they met them and they're like, welcome to America. (laughs) The land of the brave. Where's the rum? Right. You you brought the rum, right? (laughs) (laughs) So after arrival though not much more is recorded um or that i was able to find about more arcane 
when they came to the U.S. Despite the continued movement of the Brotherhood. So the Finian Brotherhood still continues. But we, I just was not able to find what Moore and Kane, what their participation was. So... Mm-hmm. Political faction leaders in both America and Ireland adopted a new initiative called the New Departure, where leaders of the more political faction, notably John Devoy, president of Clan Gale in America, and then John O'Leary, remember we talked about O'Leary, longtime president of the Irish Republican Brotherhood in Ireland, were not pacifists. Rather, they continued that there was a little point in resorting to arms unless Britain was involved in a desperate European war. Basically, they were saying, stand down, stand down. Mm -hmm. The arm insurrection is no longer a thing. We're saying, you know, we're moving from being a militia to a political group, essentially. Right. Unless Britain was involved in a desperate war, until the majority of the Irish people were explicitly on their side, also, was another thing. Not everybody in Ireland supported the Irish Republican Brotherhood of, of their independence from Britain. But they were still militants, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these militants didn't agree with the movement of being now a political party, and they took action into their own hands. And this included a campaign bombing in London. Of course, we just talked about London. We just talked about the Thames. Yeah. (laughs) And for the most part, this was a failure, fortunately. But most of the fascists were actually arrested. And the Finians remained um, until 1886 and seemingly kind of dissipated after that. Now, okay, so I'm no historian necessarily, but what I was able to find is there's a loose link between the then Irish Republican Brotherhood and how it's now evolved into the Irish Republican Army, which we know as the IRA. Uh-huh. And they're actually classified as a terrorist group, right? Yeah. So specifically, the Eastern Rising of 1916 was a triumphant breakthrough for the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the IRB. After 1916, it was co-signed by historians that... Basically documenting the fragmentary, often cryptic insights that some historians found discouraging now that the IRB's policy of armed resistance had become indistinguishable into that of the volunteers of the newly formed IRA, making it hard to tell where one began and the other ended. So it was kind of hard to say, and it's not very well documented, that the IRB... The Irish Republican Brotherhood, this Fenian group, right, uh-huh. is now what we call the IRA. Isn't that crazy? That is. And I, it sounds like a terrorist group, the way they kind of merged into what they are now at one yes. point. Yes. And, I mean, I think it just if that's a matter of perspective. One's mm-hmm. terrorist group is another one's freedom fighter, right? Right. Right. So I think it all depends on your perspective and kind of what you believe in as an individual. And I'm not obviously condoning violence, you know, for your beliefs or anything like that. But I think it's just really interesting how the Finian Brotherhood just developed. And they had this mm-hmm. great idea. And then they're like, oh, crap, we're caught. <laughs> well, if you think about what they were also facing back then. You can understand how they, you know, organized and kind of got moving, defending themselves and and got politicized. Um, Wow. Yeah. I I mean, and if you think about it, though, too, they're like, hey, you know, the United States of America got independence from Britain. Maybe Mm -hmm. we can, too. You know? Right. Um, 
and not to say that it was like a you know a failure or anything like that. And there were so many Irish immigrants that came to the U.S. Yeah, once it became an independent country, that I think that they're just you know the ones that resided now in the U.S. their their love for their homeland was like we need to get away from Britain, right? You know, it's just right. it's just interesting, um, kind of how it all came together. So, Nat, that's my story. What do you? What are your thoughts? What do you think? I think that is just mind blowing. Um, that we learned all of this information from two bottles of wine. I know, right? Like, like th- who would have thought there would have been so much? I would say depth, and you know, just history in that. And then you see the nineteen, you know, nineteen crimes. Mm-hmm. You see it at the store. Do that living label app, right? Mm-hmm. Bring it to life. Learn a little bit about that story. There's just so much wealth of knowledge behind it. And cheers to 19 Crimes for bringing this, you know, uh, making it a thing and bring it into reality. I think it's amazing. Yes. And definitely moving forward, I am going to be collecting all 19 Crimes. So um, yes. I think that's basically my final thought. Let's do a cork challenge. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's make or, a nice brief. <laughs> yes, or a wine label challenge about yes. today's adventure and everything that we learned. And we'll cheers you guys and enjoy. Yes. And next week, we're going to take a dive into another crime chat to help feed the need for your innermost crazy true crime stories. Yes, it's going to be up in the air. Hint, hint. The sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> So if you have any questions on this episode or if you want to suggest new topics for future episodes, you can reach us at crimechat with Nat and Kat at gmail.com. Yes, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Hear your thoughts about our, our very first episode and kind of where we're going with this whole Crime Chat podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay tuned for upcoming segments such as Crime and Cosmetics. Ooh. And uh, all about wine or spirits. Maybe that they're used in the commission of a crime, or maybe uh-huh. it's just something that we talk about. Yeah. You do, either way, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss what we have to come. No, no. So we will see you guys on the next crime chat. We'll see you later. Later. Bye,